Good evening. Uh, it's good to be back with you. If you've got your Bible, let's open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians in the, the New Testament. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a wonderful wee letter, a wonderful wee book. You could read it before you go to your bed tonight. Uh, and when Ross phoned me a few months ago to ask me to come this evening, uh, he asked me specifically to come and, and share my testimony uh, and share a word uh, about where I am and where I've come from. Uh, and a big important part of me coming to know the Lord as my Savior uh, is down to his word in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you find it, uh, it's Ephesians 2. Have we look on down uh, into the, the second half of the chapter uh, and we'll start at verse uh, 11. So this is God's word. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called a circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. And they thank God for that. Uh, guys, whenever I go somewhere new, uh, and I was here new a few years ago, uh, I share a wee mini part, part of my testimony. I share uh, just a wee snippet of it. Uh, I always like if I go somewhere new to assure the people that I'm talking to that I am actually a Christian, that I am actually saved. Uh, and I always do that. So if you were there a few years ago, maybe you've heard a wee bit of this. Uh, but this evening, perhaps I'll go a wee bit deeper into it. Uh, but I wasn't saved until I was about 18. It was the 18, 19, something like that. It was the 16th of November, uh, 1998. It's a long, long time ago. None of you, I suspect, in the pews uh, were born back then. But that's when I was saved. That's when I came to know the Lord as my Savior. And I really wasn't looking for it. It wasn't my plan wasn't anything that I wanted. Uh, I had heard the good news of Christ. I read the Bible, uh, or most of it anyway. I'd been told all the major stories, and I certainly knew who Jesus was and what he had done and how that applied to my life. But on hearing that, I decided that for me, uh, I was going to go a different route. And so my salvation, when it came, certainly surprised me, uh, as I'm sure it surprised everybody else. But before I get to that night, I started out uh, in a place called Belfast, in a place called East Belfast. Uh, and so, certainly in those days, guys, there was uh, a time in the history of our land uh, that is called the Troubles. Now I'm glad that your generation didn't have to experience the Troubles. Uh, there were dark days, there was much evil done in Northern Ireland and beyond back in the days of the Troubles. Uh, but I grew up in that. Uh, I grew up uh, understanding politics long before probably I should have understood it or known anything about it. Uh, and growing up in the Troubles, it, it made you very aware of what you were and what you were not. And I knew that I was a Protestant. And I knew that I was certainly not a Roman Catholic. In my eyes back then, uh, during the days of the Troubles, being a Protestant meant that you were one of the good guys. And being a Roman Catholic meant that you were one of the bad guys. Being a Protestant uh, meant that you went to watch King Billy uh, on the 12th day of July. He was your hero. You saw him painted on gable walls. 
You went to the bonfires on the 11th night. You supported rangers. Uh, you did all those sorts of things. That's what it meant to be a Protestant. Roman Catholics didn't do any of that sort of stuff. Okay, you may look at that say, that's all sounds very silly, Scott, and very childish, and you're absolutely right. But certainly back then, that's what I used to believe. I'm not saying that everybody believed it, but that's what I used to believe. And being a Protestant in those days as well, think sadly now it has changed back home in East Belfast. But in those days, being a Protestant meant that on a Sunday you were sent to places like this. You were sent to a Sunday school. You maybe even were sent to a church. And that was my experience. My mum and dad weren't Christians. They had no time for the things of God. But certainly because they had that title, Protestant. Protestants took church seriously. They didn't maybe go, but it was important. And you sent your kids. So on a Sunday, I was sent to a place called Bloomfield Congregational Church with my auntie. I heard the gospel in that church. The minister then was a man called William Hayes. Uh, and he preached faithfully week after week after week. I sat in pews at you and I listened. If I didn't listen, my auntie nipped me in the leg. Uh, if I was feeling really bold when she nipped me, I would go, Ah! Why are you nipping me? And that would embarrass her. And then she would nip me again. But when she got me to her house, she would beat me round the house. That was my life. Bloomfield Congregational. Then during the week, we would go to the Gospel Hall in Bloomfield. Uh, Tuesday night meeting. That was a meeting like this. The place was bunged out. Uh, in those days, hundreds of kids from my area went to it, were sent to it. And again, we heard the gospel in those meetings. And guys would come in a platform like this, and they would take 50p out of their pocket, and they would set it down in the corner of the pulpit, and they would say, that's for the best boy or the best girl. And so I was all excited then, because I wanted that 50p, folded my arms, and that was how I spent my Tuesday nights. So I was a Protestant. That's what I did. That was my culture. That was my background. That's what I was all about. And yet, guys, if that is your attitude tonight, if you think to yourself, well, that's it, me. I'm one of those. I'm a Protestant. This is a, a Protestant gathering. And tomorrow I might go to a Protestant church. And I like going to watch the bands. And, and I go to the bonfires. And, and I must be all right then. I'm one of the good guys. Guys, actually, that's a false gospel. I realize now, looking back to my life when I was a wee boy, I had believed something that had no foundation to it. It was empty. It was it was hollow. There was nothing to it. Because despite the fact that I knew the gospel, despite the fact that I knew who Jesus was, despite the fact that I knew certain things about being a Protestant, that Protestants don't have statues, for example, I knew those sorts of things. I still had rejected Christ. I'd heard the gospel week after week after week, and I rejected it. I had heard guys like me standing in places like this, asking me, pleading with me to trust Jesus, and I decided those nights, no, no thank you, not for me. So as I look back, yes, I'm glad that my mum and dad sent me to those things. I'm glad that those people poured the gospel into my life. My Sunday school teacher he used to hold his Bible like he was holding a child. He hold it with such reverence uh, and such respect. He, he would sit like this on a Sunday uh, at Sunday school at three o'clock, and he would teach us the things of God, and that always stuck with me. And yet, when I left those places, I closed that book. I wanted nothing to do with it. I'd heard it. 
I thought I was alright. Sometimes I even said things like, for God and for Ulster. Sometimes I even said even worse things, like, God's a prod like me. But I hadn't a clue. I had really no clue. I had bought into the lie that has infected Northern Ireland, which is if you are a cultural Protestant, you must be alright. Or if you're a cultural Roman Catholic, you must be alright. And you know what? It hasn't really changed. I meet people all the time in my line of work who are cultural Protestants. And they will say things to me like, Oh, Daddy's died uh, and he doesn't really, he never went to church and he had no time for religion. But he's in a better place now. I think, is he? Is he really? Daddy was an orange man. Daddy marched on the 12th. Daddy supported Rangers. Daddy helped the bands. Daddy did all those things. He was in the Freemasons. But yeah, he, he never really had any time for Jesus. But I'm glad he's in a better place. I hear that almost every week of my life. Somebody somewhere who thinks because of the cultural stuff that they have done or, or their dad has done or their mum has done that they're all right, that they must be okay with God. And that's not true. Guys, I'm glad that the Lord brought me out of that way of thinking. And he stopped me in my tracks and he showed me what it was to be someone who is right with him. Now, it didn't come overnight. It wasn't by the click of my fingers. But it did start in a very specific place. I was part of a youth group laying uh, in a, a church back home called McQuiston Memorial. I would say that's my home church. It's on the Castle Ray Road there in East Belfast. And I joined a youth group. A bit like this one. Guys like us, we were meeting regularly. We were singing praises. Or I just sort of kind of stood. It was a bit embarrassing. Nobody likes to sing. Uh, the speakers would come and they would pour their hearts out and they would speak to us. I was the kid that thought, I'm going to make this guy look like a fool. I would ask all stupid questions. And I was the guy who got into the routine of any guest speaker. I would stick my hand up every week, look about with a big smile. Everybody knew what was coming and I would say, do you believe in aliens? I was that guy. I thought it was my job to make all these stupid Christians realize how stupid they really were. But somehow, some way, the Lord had brought me to join a youth group. And that youth group, we went away up to the north coast for our youth weekend. And we were staying in Bush Mills. Uh, and I was a wee bit older by that stage. I was well into my late teens. And so I was one of the, if you like, the senior members. It was probably one of my final trips away. So I was having the time of my life. I was making the most of every moment. I didn't go to bed at all. I was waking about, messing about, living the dream. And then Sunday morning came. And our leaders insisted on us going to church on Sunday morning. And we went to a church in Port Rush called Ballywillan Presbyterian. And we sat up in the balcony. And the balcony sort of has a, a, a balcony like that there on it. And down there are all the women and all the men praising the Lord. We were up in the balcony. I was done out. And because I wanted to show how disinterested I was with what was being said in that church, I fell asleep. And I leant over the balcony, and I closed my eyes, and I was out like a light. And I was snoring. I was making sleepy noises. I was embarrassing everybody. And you know what? When I woke up at the end of church, I was all pleased with myself. Because not only 
had I got a good hour of sleep, even though I was wrecked from the night before. But again, I've shown all these stupid Christians how stupid they were and what I thought about their stupid faith. I couldn't have been more pleased with myself. Now, our youth leader wasn't so pleased. And we got into his car, it was a wee white Fiesta, uh, and there was three in the back, me in the front, and our youth leader was driving, and he was so angry with us, me specifically, but the three guys in the back hadn't covered themselves in glory either. And he was so cross, and he started giving us the big lecture as we came out of Portrush, up the coast road, on the way to Bushmills, and he was really hammering at us, and he was so cross at us, and he, you could tell that he was doing all he could to hold it together, because we had been so utterly disrespectful. And he said to us, guys, when are you going to waken up? When are you going to realize that, that what we're telling you is right, it's for you? You need to be saved. He was given that big speech. Maybe you've heard big speeches like that before in this hall. And I wasn't really interested again. I was just proud of myself that I had shown these guys how cool I was and how stupid they were. But on and on he went and he was really hammering at home. And he said to us, what would you do if I lost control of this car and we fell over that cliff and died? You would be going to hell. You would be going to a lost eternity. I didn't care. But just at that moment, the guy who was driving, called Phil Boyd, he's a Baptist pastor now, Phil lost control of the car. We started heading for the wee wall and we were probably going to get ourselves into a bit of trouble if we'd have hit that wall and gone on through. Now I remember being on the edge of a cliff. I remember if we'd have gone over that wall we'd have fallen into the sea. I told that story at times to people. I've been back up since. We were nowhere near the sea. We were nowhere near probably losing our lives. We'd have been in an accident. There's no doubt. But whatever God was doing... I was terrified at that moment. Because here's my youth leader, a guy that I did respect, despite the fact that I was constantly trying to make him look stupid. And he was making it clear, guys, there's a heaven and there's a hell. You need to trust Jesus. You need to do something with this gospel. What would happen if this was the last day of your life? And there it was, in just a wee moment, a wee second, it was almost the last day of my life. And that opened my eyes a wee bit, guys. Now, I didn't come to Christ right there in that car. But what it did do was I turned around and I punched Phil as hard as I could in the arm. And I started shouting at him and I started swearing at him because I thought that what he had done was really stupid. Here's this stupid Christian doing a stupid thing to try and scare us into heaven. What a stupid idiot he was. And I was telling him how stupid I thought he was. And I saw his face, and he was as white as a ghost. And very quickly I realized, Phil wasn't messing about. He didn't lose control of the car to to make a point. He had actually lost control of the car. He got himself so emotional, so worked up over my disrespect in that church, that he lost control of the car. And Phil knew that what he had just said was, was true. We were this close to being in an accident, maybe this close to death. And guys, I will never forget that day. It took me about a year before I came to Christ, but that was certainly the day that my eyes started to open a wee bit. Suddenly I wasn't as arrogant. Suddenly I didn't think that I should go to the meetings and be the clampet at the back, heckling and saying funny things and asking stupid questions. 
Suddenly I didn't feel like being disrespectful anymore and showing these stupid Christians how stupid they were. Suddenly that started to get turned down a wee bit. And those around me knew that there was a difference. And they noticed the difference. And and, and they knew what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't have named what was going on. But as I look back now, I was coming under something called conviction. I was understanding more and more that what these guys had said was true. This Jesus who they were constantly telling me about, he wasn't a swear word and he wasn't a piece of jewelry around my neck. And I wasn't going to heaven just because I was one of these good guy prods. More and more from the day on the north coast to about a year later, I was asking serious questions. I was the kid at the back putting my hand up and I wasn't asking about aliens anymore. I was asking about some of the stuff that had been said and I was asking about certain verses that had been read and I was asking how this applied to this and what that meant and and what that didn't mean. Suddenly I was asking stuff that these guys were thinking, Scott's under conviction. I didn't know it. But as I look back, guys, that's what was going on in my life. The Lord was at work. He was knocking at the door. He was opening my eyes. He was showing me my foolishness. I wasn't showing the stupid Christians how stupid they were. I was being shown my stupidity. My sinfulness. A sinfulness that had pointed to God and said, I don't want anything to do with you. And slowly but surely, he started pulling me towards himself. Guys, that year, there were no dramatic moments. In my life, I didn't meet an angel. I I didn't meet anybody who had risen from the dead. There were no miraculous things that I can remember or can tell you about truthfully tonight. But at every step of the way throughout that course of the year, the Lord was doing things. The Lord was working in wee ways and slightly bigger ways. And then even smaller ways, but he was constantly doing wee bits and pieces here, there and everywhere. He was putting me in the way of people who were answering my questions and really challenging me. And one of those moments came when I was away on holiday with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, And guys, that's not something I recommend. Uh, It was something that I did back then. I had my motives for being away with my girlfriend. I'll not spell those out tonight. But I went away thinking that I was living a dream and living my life. And one of the moments that came when I was on holidays with her really ruined the holiday. Because we were out somewhere, it was bunged out, uh, the place was hiding, we were coming out of this restaurant or a club or something, and it was sort of shoulder to shoulder, as if you're coming out of a concert, as if you're coming out of the rugby match or something like that. Shoulder to shoulder. And out of nowhere, this big guy appeared and he grabbed me on the shoulder. And all I can remember about him was that he looked like a Viking. Uh, he had this big beard, long hair, and he grabbed me by the shoulder, and I'm thinking, right, what's this guy going to do? He's going to kill me. And he said to me, my friend, do you know Christ as your saviour? And that, guys, nearly broke me in two. Because suddenly I'm thinking, here I am on holiday, on a Spanish island, in the middle of nowhere, away far from God, away far from these people that, that want me to be saved. I'm here for motives that aren't good. I'm here to enjoy myself. I'm here to live my dream. I'm here to do whatever I want to do. 
And here's this big Viking looking guy who grabs me on the shoulder in the middle of this crowd in Spain and asks me, do I know Jesus? Now guys, I didn't know Jesus. But I lied to him. I said to the big guy that looks like a Viking, yes, I do know Jesus. And his face lit up. He said, oh, praise the Lord. Brother, we are here tonight. We're trying to reach out to these people. We're trying to share Christ with them. And I've grabbed you in the shoulder. And you are a brother. You are in Christ. Praise the Lord. And he was getting on like that. And all I could think was, Scott, you're a liar. You don't know Jesus. You should tell this guy that you don't need Jesus. You should you should ask him to pray for you or to pray with you. But I couldn't. I just smiled and nodded. and ah, Yes, that's great. Yes, yes, praise the Lord. And guys, see for the rest of the holiday, all I could think about was, one, you're a liar. Two, why did you lie? Why did you feel the need to say that you know Jesus? And three, why me? In that crowd of hundreds of people, why did that big Viking grab me on the shoulder? Now guys, I'm not going to stand here tonight and say that Everybody will have experiences like that as they're on their way to coming to know Jesus. I can't tell you why that happened or who that guy was. I believe that I will see that guy one day again in glory. But that guy that night grabbed my shoulder and asked me that question, Do you know Jesus? And for some reason I felt that I had to say I did. Guys, from that moment on, I was all over the show. I couldn't compute what had just happened in my life. I didn't understand why I told that lie. I didn't understand why I would I would say good things about Jesus in the middle of Spain when actually for a lot of my life I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And yet there was the Lord knocking on my door once again, even though I thought he couldn't get anywhere near me, there I was on holiday. And one of God's people asked me, Do you know Jesus? Guys, that holiday was September time, and I went home, was at university at this stage, got back to normal, tried to forget about the big guy that looked like a Viking, the relationship with the girlfriend ended, again I look back on that, and I see God's hand in it, but I was hopefully fairly back to normal, university was busy, studying, living life, doing your thing, up and down to Jordanstown, hopefully trying to work hard, doing all that stuff. And one day, I went to uni. I was lashing down all day. can remember that. Don't remember anything special about that day. I can't tell you what I ate. I can't tell you who I met. I can't tell you who I talked to. Nobody that day grabbed me by the shoulder and said, do you know Jesus? I didn't tell any lies that day about knowing Jesus. None of that happened. I came home to my mum and dad's house, 37 Hollycroft Avenue. I was going to bed, climbing the stairs, step by step by step. Still didn't care about Jesus. Still didn't want to think about the stuff that had happened to me and the big Viking and and the coastal road and all that stuff. Just going to bed, going to bed, into my bedroom, about to get into bed. And suddenly, guys, I was overcome with this sense. This is the night, Scott, you need to be saved. I can't explain that other than a supernatural work of God. I went into that house that night with no thought of Jesus. I went to bed that night with no thought of Jesus. 
I climbed the stairs with no thought of Jesus, and yet in that wee bedroom, the top of the stairs of 37 Holycroft Avenue, the Lord moved, and it was as if he said that night, enough, enough, you know who I am. You know what I have done. You have heard my people. You have mocked them. You have called them names. You have sworn at them. You have lied to them. Enough. I felt that that was the night, guys. The Lord dramatically stepped into my life. And I had this overwhelming sense, Scott, you need to be saved. And you need to be saved tonight. And guys, even though I grew up at times cursing God's people, at times messing about when they were trying to speak to me about important things, at times going into my Sunday school class, and sitting there, literally just going, rah, 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 rah. I sat there like a moron doing that. And my teacher didn't get me by the throat. He didn't hit me a slap. He just put up with me. He prayed for me. Guys, I was nobody. I was a, a scumbag in many ways. And yet the Lord grabbed me that night and said, this is it, game over. This is where you stop running. And all the things that those men and women had told me over many years suddenly made sense. And they'd made it clear to me that, Scott, if you want to be saved, then you need to repent of your sin and you need to put your faith in Christ. And so I didn't need anybody that night to come and explain those things to me. There was no angel there that night to open my eyes. None of those miraculous things happened. There was just this overwhelming sense that I had to trust Christ. And thanks be to God, because God's people had told me how I could do it. I confessed my sin. I repented. I ran from it. And I put my faith in Jesus. I called upon the Lord. And guys, that night, in November 16th, all those years ago, that was the night I was saved. I got into my bed. And I would love to say it was the best sleep of my life, but it wasn't. And I woke up the next day, and I would love to say I jumped out of bed and I went dancing down the street, but I didn't do that either. I wasn't one of those guys that suddenly went down the street saying, Mrs. Jones, I'm saved. Mr. Smith, I'm saved. I didn't do any of that. But I did get up, and I knew there was something different. I could have this tangible sense that, that whatever happened in that bedroom last night, there was a radical change. And guys, there was a sense in me too, even on that first day, that I had to preach about Christ. Whatever I was planning to do in my life, I had to spend it preaching about Jesus. That came quickly into my life. And as I told my Christian friends, as I went and I told my minister, as the word got out, more and more people came alongside me. They prayed with me. They got me into God's word. They helped me to understand it. And guys, my life never has gone back to where it was before. Things were radically different. And I knew it. Because in that wee bedroom all those years ago, I had met the Lord Jesus Christ. When I read Ephesians 2, I can kind of see my life. I can kind of see my story. Paul would say that at one time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you weren't part of God's people. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. That means that I didn't have a clue about how God was going to bring his salvation to pass. 
I was without hope and without God in the world. Guys, when I read Ephesians 2 and verse 12, you could write that about my life back then. Everything I read in that verse could have applied directly to me, Scott Woodburn. That was true. There I was as one of the good guy Protestants doing all the Protestant kind of things, believing that if there was a God and there was a heaven, then I was bound to get in because everybody goes to heaven. Isn't that right? And then the Lord opened my eyes. Then the Lord made me realize, Scott, you were not going to heaven. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. There are those who reject Christ and there are those who receive him by faith. You were one of those who were without Christ, who knew nothing of me. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. And yet, verse 13, But now in Christ, you who were sometimes far off, have been made nigh, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Guys, that's the gospel. In two wonderful verses, in Ephesians 2, that's the gospel. Once upon a time, regardless of whether you call yourself a Protestant, a Roman Catholic, an atheist, agnostic, a Muslim, a Jew, a Buddhist, a Hindu, whatever you call yourself, if you do not have Christ, then Ephesians 2 and verse 12 explains where you are, and you are nowhere. Then one day, Jesus works, Jesus moves. Jesus opens your eyes, whether it's in your bedroom just before you go to your bed, or whether it's one glorious day at church, or whether it's a, a mission somewhere, or maybe somebody here in the hall tonight. Jesus moves and Jesus opens our eyes and by the word of God read and preached and by the Holy Spirit working, Jesus brings guys like us to faith in Jesus and he pays for our sins by his precious blood. Guys, that's my story and that's my testimony. And maybe some of you will have a similar testimony or maybe your story is Still being written. Maybe you're here tonight because you're going to Ross's house for a big box of kebab meat that he's going to buy you. Happy day. Maybe you're here tonight because there's girls here, there's boys here, and that's important. You want to build those kinds of relationships. Maybe you're here tonight because your mum and dad used to come here and to think a night like this is good for you. So you're going whether you want to go or not. Maybe you're the kid that thinks, would that guy ever just shut up? That stupid Christian believing his stupid things. Because maybe you are that person. And maybe you keep it hidden because you carry a Bible about and you know things about Jesus and you can, you can sort of blend in, but you know rightly yourself that you are nowhere with Christ. And at times you're rude and arrogant about the things of God and at times you even shake your fist at the Lord and you say, I don't want you. I don't need you. Guys, if that is you tonight, if you do not yet know Jesus, then you really do need to be saved. My big Viking friend was right. He was there to preach Christ because he knew nothing else mattered. 
He was there to grab random people in the street by the shoulder to tell them about Jesus because he knew how important it was. And guys, tonight's a freezing cold day night. A better thing maybe for us to do would have just been to stay at home beside the fire with a feet up and to enjoy ourselves. But you know what? You came here. I came here because there's nothing more important than Christ. There was a time in my life I didn't believe it. And I hung over a balcony in a church snoring my head off to make all those stupid Christians realize how dumb they were. But no more. Guys, now I come to nights like this to tell guys like you just about the glory and the splendor of Jesus. And so if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then praise God, you did nothing to deserve your salvation. Christ did it all. But once you were far off and now Jesus has brought you near, guys, praise God and live like that means something. How often as Christians do we live like our faith is like going to Littles or going to Sainsbury's? It's just a choice. It doesn't really matter. Our faith is everything. Christ is all. Guys, if you know Jesus, live for him. But if you don't, if you're still not sure, then guys, tonight is the night for you to be saved. And I hope maybe some of you will go home and climb the stairs to your own wee bedroom. And before you get into your Teletubby pajamas, and before you put your head on your wee pillow, maybe tonight's the night that the Lord will stop you in your tracks, and open your eyes, and bring you to your knees. Guys, I praise the Lord, that He loved a wretch like me. And I praise Him tonight, that He can even love a wretch like you. It's time to stop running. A time to stop pretending. It's time to seek the Lord. The one who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Not maybe. No ifs or doubts or buts or maybes. None of that. The one who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And guys, I pray that some of you will realize the truth of that before it is too late. Guys, thank you for listening to me tonight. I know it's not easy to listen to an old boy like me telling you stuff. I was in your shoes once upon a time. But whether you know it or not, you've heard important things this evening from the most important book that has ever been blessed to give to humanity. So may some of this stuff stick with you. And by the grace of God, there won't be a single one of us who don't miss out on heaven. And if we see each other there, then I hope I'll get to introduce you to the big Viking as well, who once upon a time reached out to someone like me. Guys, let me pray for you, and then we'll finish up. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these young people. And Lord, you know their hearts. You know those who love you and have followed you. And Father, if that is every one of them, then I praise you. Please forgive my ignorance, but Lord God, I do not know their hearts. But if they know you and love you, then Father, use them and grow them up in their faith and encourage them and protect them and keep them. 
But Lord, for the one or two perhaps tonight who are not sure, who are in open rebellion, who say things about you and your people that are shameful, Father, maybe tonight be the night that you stop them in their tracks. Lord, you know them. You know their hearts. And so even now, Father God, we pray that they would hear your voice calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus. Once upon a time, all of us were lost. We were without hope and without God in this world. But by grace, by amazing grace, sinners like us have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father God, we thank you for the gospel and how it changes lives. We pray that it will change lives tonight here as well in Lestuder. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>